Hi, I'm Winston, and welcome to the Real Estate Template. Today we're joined with a good friend of mine, Rob. Rob died. Rob, we met where? We met uh, for the first time as part of a mastermind group that we're both part of. Uh, I think the first time that we met was actually down in Mexico. Uh, yep. Believe it or not, that was uh, up on a year ago. Yeah, yeah, that was in August. And we met, we, we joined the collective group, which is part of a mastermind with Ken McElroy and George Gammon and Jason Hartman. And have just developed a relationship. He's a local guy here in Nashville, local investor who has a job. Um, I just want to get out. I want to talk a little bit about what he does, how he does it, where he comes from, how to get to where he is today. Where is he today? So I'm going to let you just start maybe a little introduction of yourself. And sure. Yeah. Who you are, what you are. Looking forward to it. All right. Um, so my name is Rob uh, again. And yeah, as you might be picking up from the accent, uh, definitely not from Arantia in Apple, Tennessee. I agree. Uh, I'm still working on the accent, but uh, I don't know. After living here for a little over 12 years, uh, I think that may be a lost cause. Um, but anyway, no, uh, rewinding the clock a little bit. Uh, so I was born in the States. Uh, my parents uh, met at the University of Rochester. Uh, so I was born actually in New York City before they ended up moving back to South Africa, which is where I'm uh, uh, from, where I'm raised. Um, and yeah, have been living here in the States, um, let's see about coming up on 15 years now, uh, 12 of those have been here in Nashville and a few other spots before that. Um, but yeah, so ultimately the story is, uh, so I work for an engineering consulting company. Um, we, are, got, are you an engineer? Uh, I'm actually not an engineer. No, uh, I studied computer science, uh, at the university of Cape town and, um, Thankfully, never really worked for too long in the software space. Uh, uh, truth be told, I was never really cut out for it. Um, but ultimately, that background uh, gave me a lot of exposure to um, just business in general. It was computer science, but it was a business degree, and computer science just happened to be the major. So basically, you're a normal guy. I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little extraordinary or extraordinary? Uh, well, it depends <laughs> who you ask. Depends who you ask. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, just a, just a normal guy. I mean, went to college, got an undergrad degree, and um, yeah, I've just been kind of working since then. I, I still work for this engineering consulting company now. I'm in sales. And um, yeah, just been keeping that going and then building on the side a real estate portfolio that ultimately hopefully uh, once we get there uh will be able to fund my lifestyle to a point where if i choose to work continue working for this engineering consulting company great if i don't want to do that and want to focus on something else then the real estate portfolio will allow me to make those sort of choices and have that sort of freedom uh of of, of choice in terms of what we want to do who we want to do it with and, and, and ultimately where that's ultimately your goal in the in the real estate sector is for the passive income so that I guess you can make the same amount of money while you're sleeping as you make while you're awake and nothing ever changes from that avenue. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I mean, I've been doing real estate now for, for quite a few years in some sort of, uh, you know, shape way. Or what is quite a few? Um, so I bought my first house uh, probably in like the mid 2000s. I didn't back then i didn't even realize realize that i was kind of like getting into the real estate game um but ultimately what that was was um after college i took a few years off and i worked and traveled around the world actually crewing on luxury yachts uh internationally and so i was able to save up a lot of uh the money that i earned there which was u.s dollar denominated bring it back to south africa now if you didn't understand what he said he said crewing <laughs> on luxury yeah. lots, so he was actually a, a work. Yeah, so worked in a luxury house. Yeah, okay, well, I, I apologize. I struggle with the crewing. I'm not saying nothing about your accent, but making sure. Yeah, that the redneck folk out there can understand you also. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was working on these these yachts. They were incredible. We got to see some very cool places. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, I was running around. I was cleaning up after people. I was fixing things on the boat, maintenance. Um, taking care of guests and yeah, very much just a, a, a working job. So if you wasn't working, you wasn't making any money. Quite right. Oh. Quite right. Um, but the whole goal of that, in addition to traveling and experiencing new places and so on and so forth was just, I was socking it away, man, just saving, saving, saving. 
all of this was tax-free dollars because we were working on international waters. So we were able to earn that money tax-free, which was huge benefit. So for the average person that's watching this video right now, yeah. what you're telling them is if they want to do what you do, just join the military. They feed you, they house you, they close you, they take care of you. You spend four years socking away that money and you go buy some money. Stay. Quite honestly, it's not that far. <laughs> I mean, literally, we. I'm just being sarcastic with it, but it's. I mean, it's not that far from the truth, though. I mean, we would, um, you know, we'd get taken care of like we had a chef on the boat that would cook for the guests, but, you know, we'd also get fed by that same chef. We had accommodation on the boat that we lived on, so you didn't have any housing. Uh, expenses and you know they took care of your insurance so all of this sort of stuff so you effectively had a zero cost of living while you were working on these boats and you were just able to save all of this money which was fantastic and at the time it was an incredible opportunity and it was a lot of fun and you know at the time the exchange rate to the the, the US dollar versus the South African rand was really favorable so was able to save up those dollars take them back to South Africa, and um, I ended up buying a, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom condo, and right when I started working, quote-unquote, in the real world for a real job, and uh, I just wanted to hang out and have fun and party with my friends, so I was like, hey, let me get this place, let me fill it with a bunch of my buddies, and they ended up paying rent, like we had a great place, we had a great time, but they were paying rent that whole time, so that was helping offset my mortgage costs and my insurance and all of that other stuff relative to the costs of owning and operating that property. And I was living in it myself and having a ton of fun. So that's why I say I kind of got into it back then, not fully realizing the power of it and, and what it was ultimately going to mean. Um, but once I started seeing the monthly checks come in, it was like, holy smokes, like you can do this and... You know, you can you can make some good money if you got a small compound. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, um, yeah, that was back in South Africa, and then after I moved to the states and got settled in Nashville and started to get my bearings and um, started to have success in my in my job, uh, in my sales job, and, and earning some commissions. Very similar thought process. I was just like, let me just sock this commission dollars away um, and, and, and just start buying real estate. And, and you know, so far it's been it's been pretty good. So how many properties do you own right now? So I own uh, seven properties uh, down in Chattanooga. Um, that's 10 doors. So it's a combination of single family homes and duplexes. Uh, that brings it up to the total of 10. Uh, I've got three vacant plots of land. I've got two Airbnbs out in uh, the Smoky Mountains, out near Gatlinburg. Um, and then I've got one commercial property up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That's an office flex building. Um, and so that's been my first kind of venture into into more of the, the larger scale commercial type properties. Um, okay, let me stop you right there. Mm -hmm. All right, so across the spectrum of real estate, you're in a lot of markets. You're in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. So most of your rentals, are they all short-term, long-term, a mixture? It's a bit of both. I'd say the majority are short-term. Um, so that would be the 10 doors down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just down the way from where we are right now. Um, and those have been those have been great. Those have been so really good. So in that perspective, do you have a property management company that manages everything for you? I do. Yeah, so it's very, very passive in that respect, which is great because, you know, my, my regular job keeps me pretty, pretty busy. So, um, but in yeah. the same sense, if you don't, if you don't want to answer any questions, say so you don't want to. What type of return do you make on those on a percentage-wise of your investment? Um, and let's go from a throw-off numbers. So yeah. include everything as a whole. Honestly, I haven't actually. Uh, shame on me for not having sat down and really calculated that. Um, what I will say is, we can probably do it right here. So I bought. Um, that collection of properties down in Chattanooga. Uh, the first one that I bought was actually part of a parcel of five properties. So a single owner looking to offload a few properties all at once. Bought that collection, five properties, that was 350000 Um, The sixth property that I purchased down there was a standalone single family home. I purchased that for, let me see my notes here, um, for 60000 
So that's 410. Um, and six properties? Yes. And then, yeah. The, you're not finding that deal today. Look, this was, this was back in 2019. But, but you're not finding that deal today. But the deal you find today, eight years from now, 10 years from now, will probably look very much like what he's talking about now. That's exactly. I mean, Chattanooga, you know, the Knoxville area, it hasn't declined any. It has been complete or just steadily rising in, mm -hmm. or in cost of what you're buying and what you're getting out of it and rents. So if it remains on the same trajectory as what we've got right now, mm -hmm. it would be the same thing. Ten years from now, I'll probably be able to talk about the same deal. I got some houses that I paid $15,000 for right now that are worth two hundred. you know, but... And it's, you know, I'm not afraid to buy the houses now because I feel like they look the same way. So, okay, just going. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when you think about it, right, especially where we are right now in 2023 with inflation doing what it's doing right now is, I mean, you may buy these properties in five years time. If we have, I don't know, pick a percentage, right? Let's say an average of four or 5% inflation over that period of time, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I mean, that, that will have an impact on your property value without a doubt. And that's just in five years. So what would you say, what is your, what would you guesstimate your gross income on those six houses? So, uh, here today. Yeah. Gross is probably, um, let's see, seven, uh, it's probably bringing in about 8,000 a month. So close on a hundred thousand dollars a year gross, wow. um, and yeah, that was probably all in, including the, that last property purchase. Uh, that was probably on about $450,000, $500,000 worth of actual you know, assets purchased. And that has a, the last piece of property is just a piece of land? Uh, sorry, oh. it's, a, it's a duplex. It's a duplex. Was, yeah, that was the other one that I bought. And I actually found that one through my property manager. In fact, the last two that I purchased were through the property manager. These were properties that someone else owned, but he was managing them. And he called me up and said, hey, Rob, listen, uh, I've got this other owner. He's looking to liquidate some properties. Um, they're in the kind of areas that your other properties are in. If those are of any interest to you, let me know. And so I said, sure, you know, send over the information, ran the numbers. They both penciled out really nicely. And so uh, what's great for him is he gets to continue managing that those two properties as part of his overall management portfolio. And uh, I think he was able to, you know, get a piece of the sale as well as an agent. So um, you and I haven't discussed any of this prior to right now. No. So do you know what your, don't tell me it, but do you know what your net number is right now, roughly on those? Don't tell me to no. know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm going to tell you, I think you're running, that, that puts you at a 20% at a gross basically. Mm -hmm. And I would say you're probably netting right now, probably about, at least 15%. Yeah, I think that's about right. So I think net income on an average year, granted, you know, these are all the properties. So sometimes you need to go in and you got to fix a water heater or a roof or whatever it may be. So there are some capital expenditures. I mean, moves, but maximum yeah, general, probably a maximum 30% growth or probably about 30% expenses on a house like that. Yeah. Probably. I mean, it, somewhere around up in there if it's, if it's being well kept up. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd say nets pro off of that hundred net, you're probably looking at about twenty k. Yeah. So what do you think on um, whenever you first bought them, what you think your return was at that point? Now that's just cash flow we're talking about mm -hmm. on income. We're not talking about his appreciation he's getting every year. We're not talking about his principal reduction if he's got a note on him. We're not talking about any. I'm you you in a decent tax bracket, mm -hmm. so you're getting a write off your depreciation. So we're not talking about all that. We're only talking cash flow on that number right there yeah. of, of roughly fifteen percent. Yeah. Um. So when you first bought them, would you say that you was making huge cash flow, or was you making five percent, six percent? Yeah, it was it was probably closer to that once all was said and done. Probably somewhere between five and ten, and and now it's closer to I'd say about twenty. So yeah, rents have definitely gone up pretty dramatically. Um, you know, but that brings us back to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Now, when somebody goes in and buys a buys a piece of property, you know, the one percent rule. Everybody used to go for a one percent rule as the you know that's the thing. If I can hit that one percent rule, I'm making money. Right now, if you run a number, I think we've run the numbers on more than fifty deals using the 1% rule. And basically the 1% rule nowadays makes you break even with interest rates at seven, seven and a half percent. 
you know, until our interest rates drop back down, yeah. then the 1% rule will start working. Probably whenever we get down to 5% or somewhere up in there, it'll, it'll be a good rule again. Hmm. But at, at 7%, at 8% interest, it does not. it's not a good rule. It's a good rule to get you in and tell you, I think at the, at the 1% right now, it's a good, it's going to pay its way. Right. You may get a few hundred dollars a month or a couple hundred dollars a month, $1,200 a year, $2,400 a year. You're not going to get a ton of money, but you're going to get some good appreciation because the government's going to print money like crazy. And you get to use the principal reduction and the depreciation also, apart from that. But five years from now, that's when it starts kicking in. And if you can do a, a cash out refi prior to that mm -hmm. and get all your money back out of it, that's going to change the numbers also at a lower interest rate. So, so it's not a bad time to invest right now. Your purpose may be different. You may look at it and, and your planning is not, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and increase my cash flow $4,000 a year. That's not going to happen probably right now on, on most of the deals we have in, in this area and probably in your area either. But there's so many different ways to look at at that. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, cash flow, is, cash flow is great, right? And that's certainly part of the goal relative to being able to resign from this job and have a steady stream of income that supports the lifestyle. So that's so definitely a, a big part of the goal. You make a decent amount of money a year. We're not going to talk about your salary. I have no idea what you make, but I, I know you you make more than 20000 mm -hmm. So you're making a decent amount of money a year, and you probably find yourself in a mid-30 tax bracket. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a mid-30% tax bracket, your appreciation that you're writing off on your taxes every year is making you more than your cash flow pretty close probably. Mm -hmm. And and that's the cool that's the cool thing about real estate is that depreciation. If you make a lot of money, if you had a ten percent tax bracket, a twenty percent tax bracket, it's it's not comfortable, but it's not killing you. But you start getting above the thirty percent tax bracket, up to the forty percent tax bracket, now it's a whole different story. You know, oh, it stings. You know, forty percent of what you make goes to the federal government. Who wants to pay that crap? I mean, I tell you, the the biggest shock to me was. It used to be that I used to file my taxes and, you know, sometimes maybe in a year I'd get a check back from the government. Now I'm writing checks incremental to what my employer's been siphoning off on the side and, 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 and paying for my taxes. When you start having to write checks into the government in addition to what's already been pulled off your paycheck, that really stings. That, yeah. So I paid That's taxes. motivation. I paid taxes to the government one year and then... We did our quarterly taxes all year long, paying what we were supposed to pay or what we felt like we were supposed to pay. Then I did my income tax at the end of the year, and I had to pay them an extra $392,000. So I had to write them a $392,000 check to the IRS for money that I worked my behind off for all year long. Most of it was capital ga or gains that I made through day trading on that money. Mm -hmm. And there's a tremendous amount of risk and doing day trading, a lot. Most people, the majority of people lose everything they do, they deal with on day trading. Mm -hmm. And I should have too, probably I just got lucky. <laughs> but, you know, after I wrote that check, I tell you what, I've never day traded again because I just worked for, I took all my risk for the federal government. And I said, I won't do that anymore. That's right. You know, if I can't, if I can't walk away with the money, I'm not going to do it. But some depreciation at that time, a little bit more than what I had would have been really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to help upset that. So if the, a lot of the people that are watching our videos are, People that are, they're very, very, very new to investing. Yes. They're trying to learn how to to run numbers. They're trying to learn how to dissect the deal down. What would you say when you first started, how did you dissect that deal down? I mean, it was it was fairly rudimentary. Um, what I was doing is using... Sorry, I got to get up because my dog's in the room here <laughs> and he needs to go out and greet somebody. I'm we'll, off. we'll let him out. We'll let him out. There, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. Go, go to keep the dog happy. Nick um, may edit that out and Nick may not edit that out. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in terms of just how those numbers were being run, I mean, initially it was a case of looking at these deals and saying, okay, something as simple as the 1% rule, like will this pass the 1% rule? Will it? Yes or no? If it did, then okay, let's take a little bit further look at this. If it did, you know, let's maybe not waste our time looking at it uh, quite as closely. Um, so that was kind of the first filter. Um, and then, honestly, there were just a lot of online tools that you can get access to that have these um, like investment calculators that you can just go online, 
plug in the various numbers relative to your purchase price, information about the type of loan, if you're going to finance that deal, you know, how much are you putting down at what interest rate, et cetera. Um, you know, what are your expenses going to run in terms of your taxes, insurance, electricity, uh, internet, if you're providing internet and any other utilities as well. And basically these calculators make it nice and easy. They prompt you so that you don't miss anything out, number one. Um, and then they generate a number for you. Just click the button and it'll generate and it'll say, hey, this is the kind of cash on cash return that you can expect from this property based on the information that you plugged in. And there, there are a variety of places that you can find those types of calculators. So, and how much do you trust that? Uh, I trust them pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I've done I've 90, built my, 90%, 95%. I'd say higher than that, yeah. No. I've built my own in Excel. So I have never used used what he's talking about. I, I did my own in Excel also. Yeah. Um, when I first started investing, it was like throwing a dart at a dartboard. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> it was just like, oh, that looks like a great deal. Go buy it. And you <laughs> buy it, and for some reason it worked out. Yeah. For some reason it worked out, and it worked out until it didn't work out. And then I lost a lot of money. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. Yes. And then I got some education. But but that's that's cool if there's some stuff out there. I keep doing videos where I'm trying to teach people how to run the numbers themselves because I want them to understand how to run the numbers. Mm -hmm. But there's also tools out there to do it. But it's good. It's good for the tools are cool. But learn how to do it yourself. Also, don't just learn how to do it through a tool. What happens if that tool's not available? What happens if you something, you know, you never know who wrote the program. What if they wrote missed something? You choose the wrong program. Just do your due diligence on all that. Oh, that that's a hundred percent right. But what I actually did was, <clears throat> I think initially I was doing kind of similar to what you were doing, Winston, in terms of just some basic Excel stuff. And then you know I'd kind of calculate it out for myself. And then I would when I once I found out about some of these online tools, I was like, huh, let me go and take a look. Let me plug in some of my deals that I've underwritten myself. Plug those into those tools, and let's just see how close they are in terms of the answer that it spits out. And Thankfully, they were essentially the same. So uh, I, I guess my, my Excel math was right. Well, um, but yeah, it is a good exercise to go through and it forces you to understand when you're building that tool, okay, like here's how the numbers add up. Here is how we need to be looking at the debt service and what does that mean every month? And then when you're looking at your income relative, your expenses, what's left over? And then how do you actually sit down and calculate what your true return is on that invested dollars? Um, so that you really understand the ins and the outs of the math. So are you now, when you're buying property nowadays here recently, are you buying with cash or are you borrowing money? And if you borrow money, are you struggling to get loans or are the banks working with you? Okay, what are you experiencing? What are you um, that's experience? So yeah, the, I, I went pretty heavy in terms of uh, acquisitions in 20, let me see, in 2021. Um, I have not purchased anything in 2022. Uh, just on account of 21 being such a big uh, acquisition year for me. Uh, and it's been a case of essentially taking those assets. Um, there were an asset classes that were new to me. So learning those asset classes, um, optimizing those properties and so on and so forth. So uh, that's really been the focus of the last year, year and a half to get those really humming as, as, as well as I can. But prior to that, um, it was predominantly, predominantly, excuse me, through uh, through bank financing. And back then, even though we had had the initial COVID shock, um, thankfully they were still open for business, and you know they were very uh, eager to help out. Um, that's for sure. So as you as you went into commercial, how do you like that compared to we've only talked about so far the Airbnb portion, short term rentals? How do you like the commercial compared to the short term? I really like it. Um, it's it's different. Uh, there's some things that are better. I think uh, there's some things that are a little bit more challenging for sure. Then you elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. So from from on the good side, uh, this particular property is what's called a triple net lease property. So what that means is basically the rent that I receive from my tenant is the only thing that I've got to offset against that rent is my mortgage. So the tenant pays for the utilities, the tenant pays for the taxes, the tenant pays for the insurance on the building. I get the bills and I just pass them through to the tenant and then I get reimbursed for that. So effectively the cash that I get deposited in my bank account every month, the only thing I've got to worry about is my mortgage payment and then what's left over is straight cash flow. So what, um, 
What kind of cap rate do you get off of rents? Um, so that property was purchased on a six and a half percent cap rate. Um, so so he, he purchased it off of a six and a half percent cap rate, which means that you take the amount of net operating income and you divide that net operating income by the six and a half cap rate, and that gives you the purchase price of that. So whenever he says he's buying at that cap rate, that's how they figure out the purchase price of it. Now, if you're going to do return on investment on that cap rate, then we would say it's bringing in X amount of dollars NOI, and we we multiply or we divide that by how much money you have invested in it, and that's going to give you your cap rate of what you're making on it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, if you buy at a six and a half cap rate, hopefully you're getting a little bit a little bit higher on the cap rate for the thing. A six and a half cap half cap rate is a good cap rate on commercial property, especially in 2021. I mean, we looked at some stuff. Everything is in the fours and the fives, which if it's in a 4% cap rate, you are paying a tremendous amount of money, and you probably aren't going to make a whole lot of money off of that deal. Yeah. So different types of commercial assets in different markets will dictate what that cap rate is for sure. Um, so, for example, if your tenant is Starbucks, right, and like that's going to be a very secure tenant. Very four percent, three and a half percent. It's going to be a very low cap rate because that's such a stable client, uh, tenant. Excuse me. If you've got like you know, and those come with about a fifteen or twenty year lease. Most now, I'm not. I don't know about yours. We can talk about yours in a second. But when you buy Starbucks or you buy Popeyes fried chicken or you buy Lowe's, they're going to come with a fifteen. If they're new projects that you're buying and just buying a real estate, they're going to come with a fifteen, a dollar general to a twenty year term that they're going to offer you and they're going to want to renew after that right there if they want to renew and the rent increases. I know Dollar General, I don't think they do a rent increase for the first 36 months mm. and then they do a rent increase and in the end it becomes a great position to retire on and get that money but if you're more actively working in your investments you can make a lot more money with a different field. Now buying at a six and a half cap rate, I don't know about that. Yeah. That might not be the case. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what was interesting about this particular deal is the rent that was in it. So it was a brand new lease. The tenant had a brand new lease, 10-year term with options to extend after that. So your money is guaranteed from day one for the next 10 years. Effectively. Yeah. Effectively. Effectively. Um, 3% rent increase built into the lease every single year starting year one, uh, which was nice. Um, but what was interesting about this one and the reason that I'll let, let me let me make a statement on that. So you locked in at three percent year over year over year. So his rents will continue up at three percent every single year. If we got a down year and the rents aren't good, he still gets a three percent increase. We got an up year where rents supposed to be eight percent, he still gets three percent. Mm-hmm. So across the board is three cent three percent compounded every single year, which is it adds up in the end pretty quick. Well, I was going to say that's the key word is compounded, right? Especially when you think about over a 10-year lease term before extensions and things like that. You know, 3% compounded annually over over 10 years is, is pretty decent. Well, it's 50% more money, basically. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so, but, but, but ultimately, the thing that was uh, the most compelling about this particular deal is the lease the 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 rent the cost per square foot in rent that the tenant was paying or is paying at at the start of the lease term was very low it was about probably 60% of what market rents are in that area and so while that might be a red flag my point of view was hey i'm buying it at a 6.5% cap rate which generates a decent return if this tenant defaults and i have to put in a new tenant into this building I'm going to be able to bring this new tenant in much closer to market rent. Now, all of a sudden, my net operating income, which was X at the beginning, just shoots up by X plus 30%, 40%. And all of a sudden, when you take that increase in your net operating income and you apply that 6.5% cap rate to it, the value of the property explodes. So that for me right there was the main reason that I ultimately decided to move forward on this deal. It wasn't necessarily the year one cash on cash return, but ultimately when you look at the upside opportunity or the value add opportunity, uh, plus the fact that there were annual rent increases every single year throughout the term of the lease. um, And the tenant also signed a personal guarantee Mm -hmm. as part of that leasing process. 
uh, those were all reasons that ultimately got me comfortable with the overall deal and the reason that I decided to move forward with it. No, I think it's a it's a good deal. We're leasing up this building right now. We've gone from single tenant to multi-tenant, so mm -hmm. we're going to put probably at least five different tenants in it. And, you know, the first tenant came in at one price. The next tenant came in at a different price, and now we just priced it out this morning. That was, you know, the first tenant came in at, Eight fifty a square foot, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. It was about ten bucks a square foot. Okay. And now we're renting, and it's just been in the last few months. We're we're renting now at thirteen fifty. Wow. A foot. Wow. And so now, if I go to sell that building or this building, mm -hmm. now I'm going to sell them. Whoever I'm selling to is going to be able to look at the, the latest rents that we're getting out of it. And with those rents, they're going to say, okay, if they're getting thirteen dollars, thirteen fifty a square foot out of it now. I got a value add for all these other tenants whenever their term or lease comes up. Mm. And everybody's signed. I'm requiring a minimum of a five-year lease or I'm not doing anything. So, right. So we're going to at least secure that for five years. It's awesome. And, you know, it, it it's amazing how fast that makes some money. It, it really is. I mean, the fact that with these commercial properties, because of the way value is uh, calculated using the cap rates, any small increases that you can make to your net operating income number have an amplified effect when you apply that cap rate. And so even at a 10% cap rate, which is really high, um, if you were able to, let's say, you know, cut your expenses, let's say you, uh, you know, you meter out your utilities uh, for your new tenants, or if you're able to, um, you know, increase rents like you're talking about. Uh, so whether you're increasing your income or whether you're cutting back your expenses, depending on what your lease structure is like, let's say you're able to basically drop another $10,000 to your net operating income line, which realistically in commercial properties isn't that hard to do. No, it's not. At a 10 cap, you basically take that and you divide that by 10% and all of a sudden the value of your property is increased by $100,000 just by making a $10,000 improvement, right? Yep. So... You know, when you start getting into these larger properties and you're able to drop another $100,000 or $50,000 to your bottom line, even at a very high 10 cap, um, you know, those are real, that, that, that's real dollars in terms of the, the, the value of your property that you're driving up. And that gets amplified even more as you start getting down into the seven cap, six cap, five cap, four cap arena. So what kind of, and, and again, you don't have to share this with me, what kind of financing did you do? Did you do a lot fixed rate? 30-year note or finance on that? How are you doing your finance? <laughs> so I wish that was the case with the commercial property. Uh, commercial properties are usually done a little bit different to residential. Um, so residential, it's great because you can, generally speaking, lock in really low interest rates for a very long period of time. So like 30 years fixed at whatever the interest rate is. With commercial properties, depending on the type of commercial property and depending on the deal that you're able to strike with your lender, um, they will usually lock it for anywhere between, say, three years and maybe out to 10 years, depending on the kind of property and, and the quality of the deal. Um, and then what happens is after that period of time, you have to go back to the bank and basically renegotiate um, a new loan once that original loan matures. So, so that property you bought in 2021? Yeah. So that one was locked in at a 3.75%. Yeah, so, so if he bought it at 3.75 or percent locked in on his note, but bought at a 6.5% cap rate, so you got what was the spread? If we, uh, yeah, call it 2% round number. Two, two, a little bit over 2%. Yep. That he's making just off of the spread right there on the interest rates, and that's just going to go up from there by whatever, whatever the cap rate can go up. Yep. So that's a good place to be. There's a lot of people that you that have done that, and then they come through that market, and then they call that note, or not, don't call that note, it comes up and they got to reapply for it again. Mm -hmm. Now it went up to an eight cap or a six cap or a seven cap, and it takes away all the money they're making whenever they got to go and refi. So you got to be careful when you're going in and you're locking something in on a commercial basis, mm -hmm. and they're going to give you a five year call. I think a five year call is extremely common, oh, yeah. but it is extremely painful because you really don't know where you're going to be in five years. You know, if if you raise the rents three percent every year, and then your interest rates goes up a percent and a half, two percent, you know, it's done taking all your money away from you, all your profits. You're right back to where you were. 
you know, and, you know, you should be in a pretty good shape because hopefully we'll see interest rates start dropping back down again. But I think inflation is going to still run rampant across our country and the rents are going to keep going up and the dollar is going to keep going down. So, you know, your spreader should be fine. But, okay, so that's, so we talked about your short term. We talked about your, your warehouse, not warehousing, but your retail. Now you got long term also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so the long terms are the ones down in Chattanooga. So those are the ones that we talked about at the beginning. Those single family homes and and duplexes. How are they that open? are down there? Those are great. Those are great. Those are the ones that we uh, ran the numbers on just live uh, a little while ago. And yeah, that's the one that I think is netting probably about fifteen to twenty percent uh, just right now. So those have been those have been great. And what's been nice about those ones is. You know, despite the pandemic, these particular properties, I should have said earlier, these are properties in working class neighborhoods. These are not fancy homes. I mean, you know, five properties for three hundred thousand dollars. Well, I'm going to tell you, I I don't want to invest in fancy homes. I know. I mean, we had a fancy home that we were Airbnb in, making good money off of it. It did not interest me at all. Yeah. I could not wait to get rid of that house. And I, I I want to deal with working class people because, you know, the working class people, they're not, they're going to be here. They're still here. They're going to be paying rent. And, you know, you go to a high end house, that's the first house that's affected when the economy drops. Exactly. You know, I'm going to quit. I'm not going to rent this big house. I'm going to rent something smaller. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do something smaller. You know, if I'm building a house, I, when I build, I always build something in the mid range. I don't build anything on a low scale, but I don't build anything on the high scale either. And mm-hmm. I build something that, that I want at least 60, 70% of America to be able to go buy. Mm-hmm. And if they, you know, that way I got a good pool of buyers. If you build something that only 1% of the country can afford, then that is all you got for market. You got 1% of the whole country. Exactly. Um, you know, our buddy Shannon, uh, we were actually just talking about this exact thing uh, just this last weekend. And, you know, the way that he was describing it is think about things in a pyramid. So, you know, at the very top of the pyramid, you've got your most expensive properties, but there are only a few people that can actually afford those types of properties out of the whole population of the United States. As you go down the price range, you've got in the middle, you've got, you know, more properties. They're still, you know, quite expensive, but not like your high, high, high end. But at that level, naturally, there are more people that can afford that. And as you work your way down, um, there are just more and more people that are going to be effectively applicable. for 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 your end customer, whether your customer is someone who's going to be renting, or whether your customer is someone that you're ultimately going to sell that property to, and so it makes all the sense in the world to go after that end of the expe- uh, of the spectrum where you're going to have more people that you can market your products to, versus playing right in that top 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 tier because they're just not that many folks that operate in that stratosphere. I agree. I agree. So what um. Any advice you have, sure for the for the people out here that are that are, that are looking to get into it. Maybe they maybe they got one or two properties. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have no properties. Maybe they just trying to figure it out. That you know everybody tells them how great this field is. You know real estate is awesome, and I agree with that statement. But real estate is also you got to do your due diligence. You got to work really hard. If you if you're lazy, this is not for you. If you're lazy, because you got to be diligent about what we do and that's what pays off. But any, any advice you can offer to people now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of advice after having done this uh, for a few years, but I'll, I'll try and kind of boil it down to the most important pieces that I think are, are, are useful and, and that you can take home and take action on. Um, so the first is around education. You've got to understand how this stuff works. So watching this video, listening to this podcast, uh, going online and, you know, following some folks on Instagram that are doing this at a high level or on YouTube, um, getting connected with uh, other groups of people uh, that are actively talking about and investing in real estate. There's a great podcast called Bigger Pockets uh, that I would absolutely recommend listening to. Brandon spoke at the event. Was that this weekend? Brandon Turner spoke at the event and, um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he was there and uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, what you need to be doing is is learning the lingo, understanding how this works, 
and just like, you know, bombarding your senses with this information because you will learn through that process. It's incredible how much you can teach yourself through so, all interest. So, off the wall question. Mm -hmm. Everyone looking at this video is looking for ways to learn. Mm -hmm. They're out there looking at, it seems like everybody that is on YouTube, you know, quote unquote influencer, everybody's got a program they're selling, everybody's got something they're pushing, everybody says their product is the best. How does somebody that's watching this video right now decide, what do I go buy? Yeah. I mean, frankly, that's, that's, that's a good question, that's a but it's a really hard question. It is a hard question. I think, you know, from, from my experience, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's for free. So that's, that's number one. And I would start there. I mean, you don't have to go in and pay $5,000 for some internet guru to tell you how to do, you know, X, Y, and Z, it, you know. There can be value in those programs, but I would say there's a lot of free content that you can start with. And then what I would start doing is as you start to um, get a little bit more experience and as you start to have conversations with other people about real estate, find out what they're doing. You know, how are they learning? How are they, you know, what programs have they taken? Were they good? Were they bad? Were they indifferent? Um, so I think the more you start surrounding yourself with people that are doing this, the more you start having these types of real estate conversations, that will naturally start to uncover the ones that you should stick away from, you know, stay away from, and the, the ones that you want to look at with a little bit more, uh, with a bit more confidence. Um, so skeptical. I'm so skeptical. I mean, <laughs> I I joined I joined Rich Dad Education mm -hmm. in um, 2013, and right after I joined, Robert Kiyosaki sold Rich Dad Education or sold the name for mm -hmm. another company to use for, you know six or seven year period of time or whatever, 10 year period of time, whatever it was. So my program when I bought in was $40,000 for wow. classes. Wow. Classes, $40,000. I could attend each class three times. I bought it and it was like, you ever been to a timeshare sale? I have. An oh my God. Bam, bam, bam. You know, it's, oh, I'm buying, buying, buying. You know, you're so hyped up. You don't ask the right question. Unfortunately, I had a company that made money, so I wasn't broke. I put it on my credit card when I bought it. Yep. And then I go the next month to attend the first class. Well, there's no class in Tennessee. Oh, no. So you had to travel? The class they were doing was in Texas. Oh, gee. So I called them up. I said, when is the class in Tennessee? Because it's only, you got three years to use everything. I said, when is the class going to happen in Tennessee? Well, we, ha we don't have anything scheduled for Tennessee. So I said, okay. You could do the online classes if you want. Mm. I didn't buy forty thousand dollars of the product to do an online class. I want to. I'm an in-person guy. I got to ask questions. Got to see people. Got to talk to people. I want to feel people out. So I flew to Dallas, Texas. I did the class, and then next month I flew to a different state and did the tab wow. class. And I did that thirty-six months in a row straight. I flew to a different state and I attended a class in a different state. And it was in places like Iowa State this weekend, four hundred dollars a night for the room. Yeah, two hundred fifty dollars a night for the room. And then you got to buy all your meals, and you got to pay for this, and you got to pay for that. And they were always selling something else too. But I'm going to tell you, I'd have paid a million dollars for the class today if I got the same content, because I have made millions on top of millions on top of millions of dollars from what I learned from those classes. Now the education I think went to the crapper in the end. And it would, it, I would not recommend it when buying it. And I'm not, I'm not saying I don't recommend Rich Dad Education. I don't know where Rich Dad Education is anymore mm. because I know Robert Kiyosaki's got his name back and they're doing something different. I don't know what that is. But at that particular point in time, at the end, you know, it wasn't, they were selling people packages and didn't have the people that could teach it. Mm. And most of the teachers did not have experience. They weren't, they weren't ready. Yeah. So it's, it's a very skeptical place. It's very scary to be. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what I have people ask me all the time. What do I need to do? And I and it is a it is an absolute struggle. Yeah, and that's yeah that up there the little diamond thing up there. I think it may show in the video, but that was where I made the Hall of Fame with with them back in two thousand and sixteen. And so I mean, it was definitely something that was beneficial. But just vet every thing that you yeah. seek. Do not make a spur to more thing. If they're pressuring you for money, do not buy. Anybody that pressures you for money, don't buy their product. I mean, their product should stand for itself. It should stand alone. Look at reviews on it. Look at what, you, what you're what getting. 
And, you know, what is their experience in it? Everybody, I say like everybody today, they can go to Chad GDP and write a program. That's right. You know, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is it going to work? I don't know. It might work. But have they done it and proved it? I don't know that either. Yeah. You know, yeah. and. You definitely need to kind of vet the, the, the corporation or whoever it is behind the education. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if they're actual people that do this themselves, as opposed to just teach it, you know, then you're going to have that extra level of comfort that, hey, this isn't just theory. These are people that are actually doing this work in real life and they're teaching people how to do it as well. If you can find an outfit like that, I'd say, okay, you're, you're, you're probably on the right track. So I think education, number one. Um, number two, I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned is, you know, just you got to figure out a way to get in the game and just get started. It's really, really easy with all of this education that we're just talking about to study, 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 study. You know, you take these courses, you read these books, you listen to these podcasts and you can do that until you're blue in the face. But until you actually start taking action and start chasing after some deals, you know, that's really where the rubber hits the road. So that is where most people fail. That's where they cannot, they cannot take that first step. We were just talking this weekend about that buddy of mine, remember? And yeah, okay. Prime example. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, you got to, you got to get in the game. And what I'd say, you know, for, for most people, and, and I struggle with this a little bit in the beginning as well, like one of the big challenges, if you're going to go down the route of putting debt financing on the, on the property, um, is coming up with the down payments. So typically speaking, let's say a bank's willing to loan you 70 to 80%, uh, of, of the total purchase price. Um, you've still got to come up with that additional 20 to 30%. Now, there are ways to do that creatively, to bring on partners and so on and so forth. But if you're not going to go down that route, you've got to figure out a way to pony that up. So my advice is build yourself a budget, figure out where you can, you know, kind of trim a little bit of the, the, the comfort factor in your life and just start saving. You know, set up your bank account to, instead of like every month, just put, you know, 500 bucks a month or whatever it is into a separate account, whatever you're able to afford, it doesn't matter the number, but put that into a separate account that's not linked to your online banking. So you can't touch it and you can't see it on your phone. And, you know, in time, that'll add up. Beans and rice, beans and rice. You don't eat out, don't, don't, don't go eat at McDonald's or Hardee's, save your money. You know, do everything in the world to save. Exactly. How bad do you, it's how bad do you want it? it really, actually, how bad. So, and that can be, you know, that can be two things, right? It can be looking at your expenses, and I advocate for doing both. Like, look at your expenses, see where there's excess money that you can, you know, cut back on some of your lifestyle, perhaps for a period of time to help, you know, contribute to that fund. Um, and then number two is figure out a way. Like, is there a way that you can, you know, earn a little bit more money? You know, can you take a, a an additional job? Can you drive? Um, you know, and we're on the weekends, uh, you know, is there something at your job? Can you ask for a promotion? Like, is there another job that you could, you know, take within your company or whether it's moving from the company that you're at now to a different job that can get you in a position to where you're earning more income. And then, you know, by cutting your expenses and earning more income, that's going to leave more money to put towards a down payment. And, uh, you know, I can't, speak strongly enough to like do that as fast as you can because you have to get in the game as quickly as possible that's my question when i get in an uber a lot of times is how long you been doing this yeah and i mean a very large majority of the people we talk to have been doing it for a while but it's not what they do for a living Mm -hmm. i just pick up a couple hours at the end of the night or in the morning i pick up a couple hours before i go to work and they go make some money with that, and right. and and they just socking it away. It's, that is a great idea. I mean, it's just it's so easy to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Um, and you know, use your own creativity. Those aren't the only ways to do it. But however you ultimately get there, it's just about building up that nest egg as quickly as possible, so that you can take that and use that for a purchase uh, to help fund the down payment on 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 your first purchase or your third purchase or your fifth purchase. It doesn't matter. But, you know, the sooner you can do that, the better. Um, kind of like what you were talking about uh, a little bit earlier with inflation doing its thing. And you think about in five years' time, 
properties that you buy today are going to look like an absolute bargain. You're going to look like a complete genius for buying in 2023, even though in 2023 it's expensive. Inflation is going to continue to do its thing. These properties are going to go up in value. And so the sooner you can get in on that, the absolute better. So Ken McElroy was talking about this weekend in his, in his expectations over the next 12 months mm -hmm. was that, you know, he did say interest rates were going down, but kind of suspect that maybe they're going to go down a little bit. But what's the first thing that's going to happen when, when interest rates go down? Inflation is going right back. Yeah. That housing price is going right back up. Yeah. Everything is going right back up. Everything exactly is right. based off of the cash flow. You know, what is, what are these units, what are these properties making you on cash flow? And Jason Harmon uses it all the time. Right now, it's still at a discount. If you yeah. really look at how inflation has worked throughout the history of the last 50 years, it's still at a discount right now, even as high as real estate. Mm -hmm. Any closing remarks? Um, no, I think this has been great. Hopefully, there's been some nuggets in here that you all can take away and take some concrete action on. And uh, yeah, hopefully one of these days, uh, you'll have me back, Winston, and we can talk about where we're at, you know, two yes, years from now. Been a great, great time, great opportunity. Just want to encourage everyone out there. You know, if you like the video, like it. Share it with a friend. There's so many people out there that don't know who's legitimate, who's not legitimate. Um, they can listen to us. They can look at our credentials of what we do. I mean, we're not, I'm really not here selling you anything in the world. I'm just here to, to share what we know and help you on your path to financial freedom and escape hopefully some of the pitfalls as you're going. There's a video I got out there that shows you how to go out and take a little bit of money of your own and borrow some money from a family member or something. Go look at some of the first YouTube videos I have and you'll see something that'll help you figure out maybe a real easy way to get you started with very minimal cash, working with a family member or something like that. And I think the numbers, once you learn how to run the numbers, you really get to see the proof in the pudding and it takes all the guesswork out of it. It takes all the fear out of it and you walk into it with confidence. You know, just go get that education. And, and as Rob said a little while ago, the first step is just do it. Just yeah. get out there and do it. Just do it for sure. And you know what? It's it's interesting. The first one is going to be the most nerve-wracking. I'll just leave you with that yep. as well. Yep. Um, just because it's new. But what I found is after the first one, it's like, oh, this is actually working. Like, you know, the sky's not falling. This is working great. You wake up 12 months later, you're still making money every month. Exactly. And then, you know, you go into the second one and you run your numbers again. And it's like, oh, yeah, I've done this before. It's It's like exercising, right? That muscle memory. I failed when I got overconfident. That was my first failure was when I got overconfident when I was doing it. Everything works. Mm. Everything does not work. You can, you know, it felt like that <laughs> a few years back, throw a, throw a dart at a dartboard anywhere it sticks by. Yeah. You know, it was that way. That is not the way it is. It really isn't. We got to do better due diligence. Mm. So, but brother, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate you. Enjoyed it. Thank y'all for watching.